0: Spot part of um, just us grappling with who Jesus is um, probably happens best during Christmas and Easter, little moments where we take historical events and we, we unpack them because the birth and the death of Christ actually gives us so much to consider um, just in our, in our journey. For us as a family, um, Christmas has taken a bit of a different spin um, because we're not allowed to celebrate Christmas until after the 23rd of december um because we've got a five-year-old whose birthday it is on the 23rd and she doesn't allow us to think about christmas before we think about her birthday first so it's been the longest build-up to any birthday ever um i reckon the first few years we had it soft but gee, the last six months ever since uh, nicole nicole's birthday finished on the 9th of june Michaela has been in birthday planning mode and I had to say to her today, you have to stop inviting people to your birthday. We've got the whole neighborhood coming um, and she looked at me and she said, you're a mean dad and I said, we've got a, we've got a Christmas thing to, to plan and she said, I don't care about that, it's my birthday tomorrow. <laughs> um, so Christmas is, um, is, is interesting and I think Christmas is for all of us and and probably uh, just thinking about life, Christmas um, for most of us are those little moments that we think about the perfect Christmas celebration, and we think about how, how perfect everything need, just needs to come together, the dinner or the lunch, whatever you're planning. But, but Christmas is also a time where we want our family, we want people close to us just to be together, and, and it sort of reflects the fact that we want a perfect life we want perfect moments because that's the one time that we get together as a family, as friends, just to f- reflect on, on our life and to celebrate. So I've got a little Christmas tree um, for all of you. And if you look at the tris- Christmas tree, um, basically what I love about it is, is it all points to one key point. Um, unfortunately for us as family this year, we couldn't get the star to stick or the angel to stick on top of our Christmas tree. So every time we tried to put it up, the angel bowed to me, and uh, the star bowed to me, and I thought, no, that's not a good thing. I don't want angels and stars worshipping me, so we took it off. Um, Brian gave me a good idea this afternoon. I can't repeat it in church, otherwise um, I could be banned for a while, but there's a good idea in keeping the angel in the air. Um, I love Brian. So Brian, thank you so much. We'll try it next year. Um, but there's something about a Christmas tree and having all the presents and having everything there and perfect and ready that's sort of like a, a symbolic picture of what we like our lives to be like. That everything builds from the bottom up to this great crescendo and it all looks beautiful. And we sort of think that every little moment in life from birth until whenever and wherever we are at this moment needs to make good sense at least. A lot of us like perfect scenes, where everything just fits, everything just plays into this good life that we want to have for ourselves, and, and then life starts happening where we get different gifts, like we start growing up, um, and some of us, we, we think about our family of origin, and we think about just where we came from, and that was a gift, and some of us maybe not, but it still happened, and, and it still was given to us, and we, we need to unpack that gift, and we think about the fact that I've got to do something with my life, and, and we had ideas about, I want to do this, and then it ends up in that, and we've got to navigate the tension between what I thought would have been perfect, and now it starts looking differently, and then we start moving on to, can I find the right partner? Um, where and how do I find someone that wants to actually connect with me romantically? Um, and I remember that season in my life. I never dated at all. Uh, and then Melise walked into my life and it was, oof, how do I navigate this space? How do I actually catch her attention um, for that? We go to a place where some of us are at the point where we either have kids or our kids are out of the house and, and all of these things happen. And so our life starts building into this, this picture where we want to make sure that all these gifts, all these experiences just build into this perfect picture. And we've got this almost unquenchable, unquenchable desire to find meaning and purpose in, into every event, every moment that comes our way. But then I don't know if you're like most of us, life can be random. That sometimes some of these things that are handed to us don't fit the perfect little world that we had planned. And things happen. And it's either sickness or just opportunity or challenge or, or, or divorce or grades at school or uni, wherever you are, it just comes in a different box. And, and these random introductions into our lives cha- challenges the, the meta-narratives, this big picture that we had of our life, that, that everything needs to fit into my little plan, Because we're convinced that everything has to have a purpose. I mean, we even developed a little bit of vocab around that. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but we use words like everything in life happens for a reason. Have you ever thought about that? Thought about the logic of that? Really? (laughs) That everything in life happens for a reason, even (laughs) your mistakes and your failures I mean, I'm 44 years old now, and I've had a try at this whole New Year's thing 44 times. Um, you sort of hope somewhere in the journey that you'll get better at it, um, but every year it just brings a few surprises, and every year it just comes in a way that you think of, it's interesting, and I realize if I look back at some of the things that happened is that not everything had a good reason. Some of it was just stupid. Some of it was just bad. Um, Some of it self-inflicted, some of it other people inflicted on you. So not everything happens for a reason. Uh, We sometimes say, I don't believe in coincidence. Everything in life has a meaning. Or the whole thing of, I guess it just wasn't meant to be. That if things don't work out, instead of us actually doing the work and actually grappling with with the fact that things didn't work out, we almost default into a level of laziness just saying, well, I guess it wasn't meant to be. Without doing the work and actually grappling and considering just why wasn't it meant to be. But we've got all these little things because we like connecting the dots and we like this little world where every gift, every little season, every little moment in life actually plays into this picture that we have of our lives, and some of us have very definitive pictures, and some of us, our pictures are a bit random, um, but we've got an idea. The strange thing is that not a lot of people actually plans for tragedy or challenge to come into their lives. It's, it's interesting. If you look at what happens in the world, there's a lot of challenge, and there's a lot of tragedy, and there's a lot of things that, that actually happens in life. But when we plan and when we think about our, our life, we don't plan for these moments where, where the tragedies and the challenges and the failings and everything hits us. So when they come, it's like a, a surprise that we weren't ready and we weren't prepared for what was coming. And it's sort of interesting because, because I look at my, my little dog, Angel, and she's a beautiful thing. Um, the more we have her, the more she becomes human, um, I'm convinced. Angel doesn't wake up in the morning with a big frown on her head, asking questions about the meaning of life. She doesn't have that. She sort of thinks about what will I eat, what will I drink, and will I be with you? That's all. If any one of those three things doesn't exist in a day, she has a bad day. Sort of tough. But she doesn't walk around trying to find meaning. She just wants food, water, and us. That's all she wants. But we're different. There's something in all of us sort of asking the question, why do things happen? And I'm convinced that we ask those questions because it's part of our God-given nature. We were created in the image and likeness of God, and God is a God of purpose. God is a sequential God. God um, is a God of process and a lot of organic um, processes. But there's something about God's nature that speaks into us that actually brings us to a point that when things happen, We want to ask the question, why? Why did that happen? And I reckon the Christmas story is a great reminder that the thing in us that wants to connect the dots shouldn't be ignored. Um, That this divine story of, of this big Christmas event actually brings us to a place where we realize that there's a big overarching story and it's way bigger than any one of us and it's in this big story that God has the ability to connect dots in a way that we can't. And when, when we give God the opportunity to, to help us through life, sometimes we won't see it initially, but we will see it eventually. That if we just stick with God long enough, we won't see it initially. There are certain things in life that we won't see from the word go. But if we give God the opportunity in our lives, we'll see certain things make sense eventually. So from time to time... Um, this divine story helps us to understand that it's as if God drops directly into people's lives in an unmistakable way to trigger His purpose. And I just love that. It's as if things are, were just spiraling and just going in the, in the normal rhythm of life, and suddenly God just decides to say, I'm stepping into that moment. And at that point, um, God challenges our perception um, of meaning our understanding of purpose, and our understanding of what He actually wants to do in our life. So I want to ask you to turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 1. I'm going to read a few verses out of chapter 1, just uh, starting um, in verse 1 to 4. And I reckon this is a great story for the skeptics. If you're here tonight and you're still asking questions about faith, Luke and the Gospel of Luke is a brilliant book to consider. Um, So Luke starts off by saying, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled amongst us just as they were handed down to us by those from whom the first eyewitness uh, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word so we're actually talking about people that saw jesus they saw him act they saw him live and do whatever he did so that they were eyewitnesses and servants so Luke comes and he says, hey guys, many people have actually drawn up an account of the things that happened when Jesus um, lived on the planet. And there's, there's a great story, and, and I'm just one of them, that's going to give you my account of what happened. So verse 3 says, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theopolis, so that you may know the certainty of the things That you have been taught. This is so different than once upon a time or in a galaxy far, far away. I made the mistake this morning to give my opinion on that. I won't do that again. Um, So if you want to hear my opinion on on the latest Star Wars, listen to this morning's sermon. But it's not that, it's actually actual events, actual moments that happened. So, with that in mind, we go to um, verse 26. And I love. The story of the birth of Jesus, because I think unlike any other story, this challenges us, uh, us in terms of our understanding of how God actually uses random events and random experiences just to invade our life. So verse 26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, talking about detail, she was pregnant, she was in a sixth month, so there's an actual record of when exactly this took place um, the details are amazing. Elizabeth was a relative to Mary. Um, some translations says that they were cousins, but the Bible isn't exactly um, clear on, on their relation. We just know they were related. So in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. To a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. So in those times they had uh, something of um, arranged marriages. And this was just another one of um, many. So that was norm. That was exactly how things happened. But then it becomes interesting. This angel appears to a virgin girl named Mary um, and starts talking to her. And when I thought about that, I just thought about just what hung on that moment, an angel actually appearing to a 14, 15-year-old girl, more or less, you could be a bit younger, a bit older, but an angel coming to a virgin girl saying, hey, you will become pregnant and you will bear um, the Son of God, that your baby will be the Son of God. That really, we hear that in our time, and it sort of makes sense because we've had more than 2,000 years of people chatting about this, reading the Bible, we've got the story, and when we we think about Jesus, we hear the Son of God. But at that point, no one ever considered anything like this. I've got a 15-year-old girl, and I promise you, I'm going to ask a lot of questions. If she walks into my house or into church saying, hey, I'm going to be pregnant, and I'm going to have a baby, and we'll call him Jesus— I'm going to ask a lot of questions, and one of the answers that I don't want is an angel appeared to me. Um, That's not going to be helpful um, in our conversation. But this is exactly what happened to Mary, that she has this experience, not experience, this, this thing where an angel appears to her and says, Mary, you are going to fall pregnant. You're not married. And in that context, that's a big, big challenge. And the baby that you will, that, that's going to be born from you will be called Jesus, Emmanuel. He will be the son of God. So just for a moment, just, just try and get into the world of the New Testament. Just take yourself out of this world where we know the story and it makes sense. Just think about the challenge on that little girl, on that young lady's life. Where God decided out of everyone that I'm going to invade your life. I'm going to choose this moment where it seems like at that point, for 400 years, the Bible said there was nothing from God, it was almost silent, there wasn't a lot communicated, and at that point, God decides to invade the life of an individual, and, and, and something struck me when I, when I read that, that sometimes we've got to consider that what God wants to do in our community, in our church, in our city, in our world, actually has to start with an individual. And when I read that, I asked myself the question, Clinton, are you open enough for God to actually invade your life, to bring news like that? And are you willing to follow through to allow him to do whatever he wants to do? So we don't know anything about Mary before the angel interrupted her. All we know is she was planning to marry Joseph. Um, At that point, she probably um, would have lived um, and died in the same Galilean community that she grew up in. Uh, She'd be be one of those nameless, faceless um, Israelites that almost had no story. And that's what happened to many of the Israelites during that time. They were nothing. They lived in the armpit of of the Roman Empire. So the Israelites were seen as nothing. They were killed for fun. They didn't have a story. They almost didn't have a history. Their history at that point was tied up. From the Babylonian Empire to the Persian Empire to the Greek Empire and then the Roman Empire. So they were just shifting from empire to empire to empire, but they were nothing. So it's at that point that the angel went in verse 28 and said, Greetings to you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, I want you to hang on to those words just for a while, because I think sometimes when we hear the word highly favored, we have something in mind. But in this story, it takes on a completely different um, complexion. But one thing that blessed me is the fact that the angel said, hey, greetings, God is with you. And something struck me in that, and for the last week or so, we've been grappling with this whole um, understanding of just what does it look like for us to not ask God for safety, because at, at the core of my being, I'm convinced that God isn't calling us to safety. God's calling us to a place of security in His presence. Securing, security in our understanding of our identity in Him. That somewhere along the way, we took this whole thing that God is with us and God is favoring us, and we sort of translated it into a Western worldview, saying that if God is for us, then everything has to be safe, everything has to be perfect, And we don't have a theology that grapples with um, random events that strike us. And can I just say tonight that I don't believe at all that the Bible communicates safety to anyone. If you read what happened to the New Testament guys that followed Christ, safety was not on the agenda. They died incredible deaths. Right through history, I don't think God is calling us to a place of safety. He's calling us to a place of security. And that's the thing. That Gabriel just um, brought to her, he said, hey, greetings, you're favored, God is with you. And then an incredible conversation, verse 30, um, or verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. So in her mind, she's asking the question, is this good or bad? but the angel said to her, don't be afraid. So listen to the words of security. It says, God is with you. The Lord is near. Don't be afraid. And then these words, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call him Jesus. And then in all of this, this moment where the angel is saying that God's going to show up in human history, The angel gives us a great understanding of the will of God. Listen to this. He says, you will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. He says, and he will be great and will be called the son of the most high God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's, uh, Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So Mary then said, how will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. So she sort of thinks about all of this, that at that point Israel didn't have any um, real solid um, governance for the last four or five hundred years. And suddenly this angel is saying to her that your baby, your son will come into um, this life and he will rule from everlasting to everlasting. There will be no end to his throne. And she's thinking that, hey, we haven't even had a throne for the last 500 years. But that doesn't bother her so much as the moment where she realizes this. Hey, how's this going to happen? I'm still a virgin. (laughs) Well, what God is saying actually connects. The dots. And these words are incredible. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High, God, Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Something strikes me every time I read the Gospels. It's the fact that every significant moment in the life of Christ was a spirit event. Every significant moment. From his birth to the point where uh, Mary actually meets Elizabeth, uh, to the moment of his baptism, to the moment of walking into the wilderness, the moment walking out of the wilderness, every significant moment of the life of Christ was a spirit event. And it sort of brings me to the place where I ask the question how have I reduced this understanding of being open to the spirit, to something that I can manage? that sort of fits in my Christmas tree experience, where I say that I'm open to God's Spirit, and I am open and willing to be overshadowed by the power of the Most High. But in every sense, I'm actually just trying to build a little treehouse that sort of navigates the space where I control everything. And I'm convinced that for God to to, to, to invade and for God to intervene in our city, in our community, We need a lot more individuals willing to say, God, I will be open for you to come and invade my life. I want to be the one that you will overcome and overshadow. I want the the power of the Most High God to overshadow me, to come and do something in me, to come and birth something in my my heart. So in all of this, verse 36, the angel just gives a, a last bit of info. says, even Elizabeth, just the detail of the story, your relative is going to have a child in her old age, and she who, um, who was said to be unable to conceive is in the sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. This is the promise. God is with you. Don't be afraid. God's will will be done, and nothing that God initiates will ever fail. One of the translations says, nothing is ever impossible. God. So this is great. We've got the story. Jesus' birth is announced by an an angel. But the interesting thing is when you look at the details of Mary's life, you sort of think that if that's the way this whole birth process was conceived, that it's going to go from there and it'll just escalate. But if you start reading the story, the opposite happens. There's this incredible announcement, this, this incredible moment that the power of the Most High um, will come upon you, and, and, and she actually saw the fact that she became pregnant. So everything started happening with the comment that you are favored of God. And then we start reading the story, how a pregnant girl suddenly has to travel 80 miles on the back of a donkey to go to a census. Now, we know she was heavily pregnant because when they got there, Jesus was actually birth so you would think that someone who had that word of God would have the almost the the right to say God I'm just not connecting the dots between I'm highly favored and God is calling me but suddenly I'm sitting on the back of a donkey you sort of thought that when she walked to the inn that the innkeeper would have everything ready for her knocked on the door hey we've got a heavily pregnant uh, wife here sorry there's no room The only place is with the animals. And we need to get out of that romantic little picture that that the stable was something beautiful, clean, and and all these animals were worshipping as Jesus. It's nothing of that. It was rotten. It was a stable. So this whole picture of you are favoured, you are blessed, God is calling you, suddenly takes a whole different picture that Mary, the one carrying the Son of God, actually has to give birth in a stable. And not just that. While all of this happens, word gets out to Herod that, um, that a king was born in Israel. And Herod had a big identity issue. So he wanted to make sure that he was the only one that, whose throne would live forever and ever and ever. So he made a decree saying that we're going to kill every boy two, year and, two years old and younger. And it's in that moment where Mary um, suddenly had to take... Pack up, and they had to travel an extra 200 miles on the back of a donkey as the highly favored of God, as the one that God called, as the mother of the Son of God, suddenly fleeing to Egypt. And when she was there, word got out that Herod actually actioned his plan. He went and killed every two year old boy and younger in that geographical space. So just think about what she would have experienced in that moment. That it's because I'm carrying a baby that all of these other people are going through this. And I sort of wondered when I read through that, I wonder when uh, just some of the questions in, in Mary's heart where she would have come to a place thinking, God, why are you protecting and saving me? What about all those other kids? What about everyone else? Just think about the question. So this isn't this nice little polished story. But one thing that I realized that because we have the vantage point of time, we know that there was nothing random about all of that. We know that her pain and her challenge and all of these moments actually brought great blessing to us. And it's in this that we consider this next quote, that perfect faith is not faith, a faith that moves God. I sort of struggle with this sometimes, that we think that if we just get the right mixture of faith and action and prayer and we do all the right things, that God's going to act. But perfect faith is not a faith that moves God. Perfect faith is, is faith that moves us to trust God when He doesn't seem to be moving. It's in that moment where we think, hey, nothing is happening, that I reckon real faith is tested. So perfect faith is to respond to the seemingly random events of life as if they were part of God's perfect plan for you. So just think about the random little events in your life at this moment. Are you welcoming them or do you still sit in that place where I want to figure out and I want to try and manage this whole thing because in my Christmas tree life, this doesn't make sense? Or do I have the capacity to consider that everything happening at this moment can play a part in the big story that God is writing. Paul puts it in theological terms. He comes and he says, In Him we were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out, what? Everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. If someone can work everything out in accordance to His will, it's God. It's not you. (laughs) Mary says it in very personal terms. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Let it be unto me according to your word. I reckon that's incredible, incredible faith. See, I think we want to know where to hang all the little gifts and these random little experiences up on the tree of life, Sometimes it's just not our responsibility to know. It's our responsibility to surrender. To say, God, I'm your servant, so let it be unto me according to your word. So I want to conclude with this last word. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. Paul comes in Romans, and we spoke about this last week. He speaks about hope. And he speaks about trust. He says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace. I want you to just think about those, those three words, that I reckon the absence of those three words constitutes hell on earth. If we live in a space where we have no hope, no joy, and no peace, we live in this meaningless rut, This existence that isn't going anywhere. But Paul comes and he says, I pray that God will interrupt, will interview, the God who can interrupt your life. I pray that He will intervene in your life as the source of hope and that God would fill you completely with joy and peace. When does that happen? When you trust Him. That there's this moment in life where we, say to ourselves that I'm not going to make this life work. And I won't be able to make sense out of every random experience that comes my way. But I know God can. And I know He has the ability to take all these random dots and to bring them into something that at the end of my life, everything will work out. Not according to my plan, but according to His plan. So it's in this that if we can can learn the art of trusting in Him, Paul says, then you will overflow with confident hope. And that's my prayer for you. When I thought about this, mo- this morning and this evening and just heading into 2020, I sort of had this thing in my heart saying, God, I am praying and I'm trusting that you would break into my life. But more than that, I'm praying and I'm trusting that you would break into every person's life in Arana Hills Church of Christ. That... that In this little thing where we go around the hamster wheel and we do our jobs and we live our lives and we go through this, the sameness of the experience, I pray that 2020 will be a year that you would interrupt our lives, that you would step in. And I'm trusting that as this happens, that we would sense that it's you and that we would just well up with and overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I reckon us moving into 2020 is a year where we need to ask this question. God, how are we saying yes and how are we surrendering in the same way that Mary did? To say, God, I'm your servant. Let it be unto me according to your word. So I want to close with this last statement. God has never interrupted his plans. Only ours. Just think about that for a moment. God has never interrupted His plans. Only ours. So I'm going to invite you to come and share in communion. For me, the thing that blessed me just as we move into communion is the fact that from stable to this table, God had everything in mind. So from that stable, the birth of a baby, to the fact that we think about the crucifixion and the resurrection... of of Christ. There was something about the fact that God had the ability from the beginning to connect the dots between stable and table. And when God thought about that, it wasn't just something that He did for us. It was something that He did that included all of us. That brought us to a place where you are highly favored because of what He did. It included you. Your life is not random. (laughs) Part of this actually communicates to us that you were bought with a price god had you and all of us in mind from the very beginning he had this moment in time in mind when he thought about us so i want to ask you that as we come tonight just to share in communion that we would consider the fact that the randomness in life is actually such a brilliant opportunity for god to move into your life to create a moment where the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. The power of the Most High God will come upon you and your life will have the ability to bring forth a revelation of Christ that can bring change to our world. Let's pray. Father, I want to pray for every one of us here tonight. Just want to thank you, Lord, for the hope that you've given us, the fact, Lord, that we get the opportunity week in and week out to consider the fact that because of what Jesus did for us, Lord, we have hope. Lord, we have hope in the moments of blessing. We have hope in the moments of failure. We have hope in the moments of tragedy. We have hope in every moment because of what you have done. And and because of the fact, Lord, that you entered into our world, Lord, you gave gave us a picture of what hope looks like. And tonight, Lord, I want to pray that as we just enter into a time of just sharing communion together, I want to pray, Lord, that we would think about the fact that because Jesus came, that our lives changed, Lord, that we changed, that you gave us hope, you gave us the ability to discover God on a very personal level. And because of this discovery of God at a very personal level, Lord, we have the ability to live in a, in a relationship that brings life to us, but not just to us, Lord, to the world that we're living in. So I pray tonight, Lord, that we would share in, in the beauty of communion, this brutal act that became something beautiful for us, that we would celebrate this moment, just celebrating and thinking about what it brought to us. In Jesus' name, amen.